as you find your seats, please turn with me in your Bibles, 1 Peter 4, verses 17 and 18 are the two verses that we'll stop at in our journey together through 1 Peter. Uh, If we were getting on an amusement ride this morning, uh, we'd probably have seen a sign that says, warning, uh, what you're about to hear uh, in God's word is, is tough stuff. It's one of those passages that God kind of rings me out through the week, uh, through an incredible circumstance of events, and I'm excited. We need to put on our seatbelts. Uh, we need to uh, uh, really seek his face and ask for his wisdom. Today's not going to be an easy one. But we're going to begin by looking at a clip from the Passion. Just 10 seconds. And those of you who uh, still have uh, little ears here, uh, it won't be too bad. It'll be very quick. Uh, incredible movie if you have not seen it. Mel Gibson gives us a portrait of what our Savior Jesus went through to set us free. But he's going to tell his mother something. He's actually going to quote in this clip, Revelation 21. And we are going to look at God's word and say, God, what was he talking about? Make sense of this. So see the clip first. Jesus, at that incredible moment, a moment going to the cross, uh, says these words, I am making all things new. I mean, look at it on the surface and say, what in the world was he talking about? Here he was, after three years of earthly ministry, going to the cross, paying an incredible price for your sin and my sin. And yet he would declare that through his life, through his death, and ultimately through his resurrection, that he was going to make all things new. What was he talking about? I'm going to uh, ask a list of questions. We had some technical difficulty this morning with my computer and it did not get, the outline was changed, and it did not get uh, to the back and Sarah. And so if you look in your bulletin, there'll be some sermon notes and a blank page. And do me a favor, if it leaves with a blank page, you're going to hurt my feelings, all right? And so uh, fill something in. But I'm going to list a series of questions, and let me challenge you to at least write down the questions. Because there are questions that we should wrestle with, not just this morning, but they are questions that we need to wrestle with all week and beyond. And the first question is this, what did Jesus mean when he said that he was making all things new? What did he mean? Well, I know this, is before we dive in, I need to pray, because I have zero ability to make anything new. But through the power of the Spirit, he can make us new, even today. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, with that image of your Son still burned in our memory. When he would walk the most incredible journey to Calvary, 
to become our sin and to make all things new. Oh, Father, we need to be made new this morning. And God, we need for the Spirit of your Son to come and to speak through a broken sinner who desperately, desperately needs to be made new afresh again today. Father, I don't have any ability, any talents, any worth, anything of myself that can make us new. Only you can. So God, would you send the Spirit of your Son in the preaching of your Word And God, would you open up our ears afresh to hear your voice anew? And God, would you open up our minds to understand these questions that that are before us, questions that are right in the text, right in your word today. God, would you come and give us understanding? And God, would you come even now and with the power of your spirit, would you break our hearts, our, our stony hearts, our rebellious hearts, and make us new? God, would you empower our feet to walk in the light of your reality and the newness that is ours through the work of Christ. Father, come, come with power and have your way with us this morning so that you receive glory and we receive challenge and joy. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So what did Jesus mean when he declared that he was making all things new? Was Jesus basically saying this? Hey, I'm here, and I'm here with plan B. Was Jesus saying to us and to all humanity that basically God's A plan to create all things, to call them good, God's A plan to create you and me in his own image, God's A plan for us to have a relationship with a holy God, to be holy his, to live our lives in light of his love and his truth. God's A plan, was it over Had our sin and rebellion so messed up God's A plan that he said, finally in heaven, it's it's over, forget it. They're rebellious. No matter what king they raise up, no matter what prophet they have, no matter what priest they have, they still are not getting it. Do over, let's send plan B. Jesus will be plan B. And therefore Jesus will come and he'll announce, hey, I'm going to make all things new. That old stuff, forget about it, didn't work out. There's a new day. No. 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 When Jesus came and says, I am making all things new, what Jesus was saying and what Jesus was doing was Jesus was recreating all things, recreating all things the way in which God intended them to be. That's what he was doing. He was bringing the kingdom of God to earth because things had gotten so bad. Our sin and our depravity had so far separated us from a holy God. Things were running so much out of control that we couldn't fix it. We couldn't. We couldn't be holy enough. We couldn't be righteous enough. We couldn't love God enough. We couldn't love our neighbors enough to turn it around. Only God could do it. And when he came, he came with an A plan. And it was God's A plan. It was restore things the way they were intended to be. You look at Jesus' miracles, and, and really, if you look at Jesus' miracles, in a lot of ways, they're quite pedestrian. I mean, yeah, they're, they're incredible in and of themselves, and, and they certainly proclaim the reality that Jesus was who he claimed to be, 
both the Son of Man and the Son of God. But you look at his miracles, you say, what's up with his miracles? I mean, really, couldn't he have done a little bit more? I mean, couldn't he, I mean, who was his marketing agent? I mean, who were his publicists? Couldn't they have done something a little bit more grand? Let's think about the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, yeah, pretty cool. You take a couple of fish and some bread and you feed 5,000. But what if, what if he says, here's the deal. Manna from heaven is going to fall. And I'm going to, I'm going to have golden goblets appear and everybody's going to be drinking fine wine from golden goblets. And I'm going to do some incredible stuff. And, and you think of maybe if he, if he just flew a little bit or, you know, did a loop-de-loop or, I mean, did something really, really cool, like fireballs coming out from his arms or something. But what did he do? He, he touched blind people, sometimes spit in their face, and made them see. What did he do? He healed leopards. Lepers. What did he do? He raised the dead. What did he do? He was making all things new. You see, we shouldn't have hunger. We shouldn't have those who need to be fed. There shouldn't be blindness. There shouldn't be brokenness. There shouldn't be leprosy. All those things are a product of the fall. And they're here. And here you have Jesus coming. And he's touching the broken. He's, I'm making you new. I'm making you as God has intended you to be. I'm removing the curse. I'm removing sin. I'm removing the shame. I'm making you new. The way you were created to be. It's a plan. Peter tells us this. And he tells us that this unbelievable God that would send his son to come and make all things new intersects our very lives. He's come to make us new. And if you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, we began this way. Look at 1 Peter 1 verse 3. It says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. If you're born again, you are new. God is calling us a new creation in Christ. We have been restored. We have been made new to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God has come through the work of his son. He says, I got good news. I've come to make all things new. And that's you and me, sinner. I've come to restore you come to rescue you. I've come to make you as God has intended you to be. To have life. Life eternal. To have your sins removed. To have an unbroken relationship with the Father who is holy. And yet, through the unbelievable shedding of Christ's blood, through the unbelievable clothing of Christ's righteousness, that we sinners can stand in His presence, you ready for this, accepted, new, and loved. And that, open, and, and that empty tomb is a declaration that the Father accepted the Son's sacrifice on our behalves. That it's a new day has come. There's great news. Death no longer reigns. Life does. And life can reign in us. He's come to make all things new. And here, here's unbelievable truth. Not only, not only did he come to make us new. You ready for this? He's come for us to be the A plan to make all things new. What was he doing? He was making us new so that we could be the A plan of making all things new. Was it successful? Did it work? 
Well, we know that it was successful. In the reality, there was an empty tomb. But was it really successful? Is Jesus really creating things all? Is he restoring all things the way God has intended? Let's take a trip and look into the news this even last past week or so. Was he successful in making all things new? We, we see the, the Amish school. I mean, we, we want to turn away. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, the, the, these little girls, I mean, this school... And, and this lunatic with a gun. Amish girls are killed in their very own schools. Are you making all things new? Florida congressmen are stepping down because of inappropriate text messages to page boys. And yesterday, a local Christian school coach, not ours, was arrested and chi- charged with child porn. Is Jesus, if Jesus came to make all things new, listen, if Jesus came to make all things new, how come our kids aren't safe in their schools? If Jesus came to make all things new, how come our kids aren't safe in Congress? If Jesus came to make all things new, how come our kids are not safe from Christian school coaches? You see what we want? This is what we want. We want want our world. We want our churches. We want our communities. And we want our radio stations to be safe for the little ears. But they're not. And when we see that they're not, we want to cry out to God and say, where are you? Have you been there? Where are you? And don't you care? Don't you care? Don't you see? Where are you? How come you are not doing something about this? You came to make all things new. Where are you? Don't you care? How come you're not doing something about this? You know what? We ask that question, and we lean in. We lean in. We get real quiet before him. We lean into the answer. We get real quiet. We lean into the answer. This is what we hear. I'm in you. I'm in you. And where are you? And don't you care? And how come you're not doing something about it? I went to a conference this last week in Atlanta. It's called Catalyst, and it was for Christian and business leaders and some phenomenal speakers and really uh, challenged my heart and stirred my soul deeply with all of this. And there was a man there named Gary Hausen, and Gary Hausen was an attorney, an amazing story because God could use even attorneys. But Gary Housen's an attorney that was working for the State Department. And in the late 90s, they sent him to Rwanda to basically cover the genocide that took place in Rwanda. There's some 800,000 people that were killed. And as a Christian, he went. And again, not as a Christian, as his job. But he went there with the State Department. And he looked around. And he, he came to this church. And he realized that an incredible slaughter had taken place in this church. Because people ran to the house of God for refuge. And it was there at the house of God that they were macheted to death. And he looked at the carnage and he said, where are you, God. And in his spirit, God spoke. And he said, where are my people? Gary's life was so changed that he started the International Justice Mission. 
It's a ministry that goes and rescues those who are in prison because of injustice. And he tells story of story of rescuing those that are in slavery and story of story of those that have been kidnapped and put into prostitution. And he shows these pictures of these beautiful girls that that they were kidnapped and, 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 and put into this prostitution. And he tells the story of this one girl's rescue. And I'll never forget it. She was in room five. And room five of this one room where, where she was experiencing hell on earth. She scribbled Psalm 27. It just said, God, you are my refuge. You are my hope from those who try to kill me. And his life has been changed because he realized that he was called to go. He was called to rescue and not ask the question, where are you, God? But where is God's people? Yesterday, we had the second annual fun run uh, uh, here uh, at Orangewood, uh, uniting our neighbors, which was phenomenal. It was a great, incredible event. I was so proud of it. We had over 300 runners here. And really what it was was this. It was a declaration to our community that we care. We're here. We know you're hurting. We know that it's bad stuff out there. But we're here to love you and to support you. And we're going to run five miles. Some of us ran. Some of us prayed for support for those who did run. At the end of the day, we gave away 5000 for the Central Florida Helpline. We gave $5,000 to New Hope for kids because we believe in the reality that we are the A plan, that we are the A plan, that God has made us new so that we can respond to that newness in life, that God has called us to go into our broken society and to weave shalom, weave harmony back into all that is broken. Jesus came to make all things new, and he chooses to use us to do it. Unbelievable. And how do we do it? We go by loving our neighbors. We go by trying to restore that which was broken. We go and take anything that God has given us, any power that we have, any ability that we have, any talent we have, and we pour it into the kingdom. And we pour it into those who are poor, those who are broken, those who need help for the glory of God, making all things new because we're the A plan. This is what this incredible passage tells us. And it tells us to take inventory, to look at how we're doing, and to be real with ourselves. And we look at what we're, how we're doing, God has to start by cleaning us up so that we can be that A plan, so we can be a part of that rescue, so that he can make all things new through us. Next question we have is this. What does it mean that it's time for judgment to begin in the household of God? Look again in verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin where? With the household of God. God is calling us to be the A plan. He wants to use us to make all things new. And for us to be used to make all things new, we have to be purified. We have to be made more like the sun. We have to reflect more of who Jesus is and less of who this world is. And how does God the Father choose to purify us? How does he choose to do it? Mostly through suffering. And mostly through weeding us from the love of this world and the love of him. Listen, we can't make all things new unless we're thinking anew. Unless we're acting anew. If we're thinking and acting and and loving and living and having sex just like the world does, we can't make anything new. Does it make sense? You see, judgment has to begin with us, and this is so consistent without Scripture. God has all the way through Scripture said, I'm going to begin with my people because my people are the A plan. 
My people are the ones that I'm going to use to make all things new. He's going to begin with us. And so he says this, I'm going to put you in a refiner's fire. I'm going to make you so you reflect more like who Jesus is. Because the only way, listen, the only way we're going to be able ever be able to be used by the Father to be leveraged, the only way that we'll be able to lift up anybody, the only way that will ever happen is if he makes us new. If we just think differently, we just act differently, we respond differently. Because we have been made new. And we are the A plan. So judgment must begin with us. We've got to be purified so that we can lift others to the king. And here's some really, really good news. There's some really good news. What does it mean with judgment for the house of God? Here's what it means. That we will suffer some, but the suffering will be for refinement. It'll be for refinement. It will not be for removing. It will not be for removing Jesus' blood was sufficient to wipe away all of our sins. We are clothed in his righteousness. God is not going to change his mind about us. He's not going to say, I'm done with you. The A plan of you is over. I'm going to come over here. For his children, he'll never stop loving us. He'll never stop using us. Isn't that good news? But he'll refine us. He'll make us more like Jesus. So that judgment isn't going to be removing us. And then he asked two questions that we got to wrestle with today. Listen, listen. He asked the question in 17. He asked it again, quoting some, or Proverbs 11, verse 31 and 18. He asked the question twice. Importance. Basically the same one. Here's what it says. Look at 17. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And again, he says it this way in 18. What will become of the godless man and the sinner? What will become of them? Two questions that were asked. What will become of the sinner? Do we really care? Do we really care? I mean, in a moment of honesty before God, when Scripture says, what will become of the godless man, what the Spirit of God broke my heart over was the reality of the fact that I don't care. Do you? I care about me. I mean, I care about my family. I care about my money. I care about my reputation. I care about my name. I care about my church. But do I really care about those who don't get it? I mean, do I really care about those who have rejected the gospel of God? Do I really, do we care? Because the reality is, if we don't care, we are not going to respond to the A plan. If we don't care, and we got to say, start there. Do we really care about what happens to the sinner? Because most of my life I say to hell with them. They deserve it. Let them be damned. You know, they're living their lives in sin and somehow because of my righteousness and somehow because I'm a Christian, I think it's okay for me to get grace and mercy and love of the Father. But to them, they don't deserve it. They're going to get their just desserts. I don't really care. Do you? I mean, really? Do we care? 
And until we care, until we start shedding tears over the broken, until we say, it does affect me, I am torn apart that there are those who do not experience the love of Christ. I care about a Christless eternity for them. Until our hearts are broken, we can't be the A-plan. And that's what God says, it begins with us. Judgment begins with us. There's this, uh, there's this church in Portland, and the pastor, Rick, uh, he spoke at this group, and I mean, everybody from the left coast is whacked, and you know, you hate to look at a ministry model from those from Portland, Oregon. You want to say, hello, you know? He's got a church named Imago Day, which means image of God, and if you know, uh, if you read the book, Blue Like Jazz, Donald Miller goes to his church, and that might give you a little uh, insight to who this guy is. And he came to this realization (laughs) that they didn't care either. That really, that the God had called them to be the light of the world, and he called them to this good news in Christ, but really they they only cared about themselves. And he said, said, listen, we're going to have a repentance service every Wednesday. Every Wednesday we're going to come and we're going to repent. It's hard to market that. (laughs) We're just going to get on our face and say, God, we don't care. We don't care. And we're not going to be the A-plan until we care. What happens to the law? See, that just broke my heart this week. I could read those questions and go right by me. And until we care what happens to the lost, we will not be operating with the A-plan. And we need to repent. The question I have is, are we really preaching the gospel of God? Are we really preaching the gospel of God Luke tells us this incredible story of a father who had two sons. One's famously or infamously called the prodigal son. And it's an incredible story where the younger son basically comes to his dad and says, this, Dad, I wish you were dead. I, I, dad, I know you're providing for me. I know you have everything here that I have for life. But, Dad, I wish you were dead because I want your stuff, Dad, but I don't want a relationship with you. So, Dad, if you could just die and I could get your stuff, I can get on with my life. In some unbelievable uh, course of events, the father agrees and he sells his estate and he divides up the property. He says, here you go, my beloved son. This is what is coming to you. And the son took it and he ran. He said, I'm going to try to find life away from the father. I'm going to try to find life in that world, in the arms of a woman and in partying and living it up. And pretty soon when his money ran dry and his friends all scattered and he's feeding slop to pigs. And you got to understand for a young Jewish boy to be hanging out with pigs, that's the low of the low of the low he remembered. He remembered he had a father who was merciful and benevolent. He remembered that, that the servants got more than what he got. And he went home. And unbelievably, there was a father on the other end that every day got up and he looked into the distance and he waited for that son to appear. And every day he was looking and every day in that one day that his prayers were answered and that son appeared on the hill, he ran. I don't know about you, have you ever seen your father run? Have you ever seen your father run in a dress? I mean, he's wearing a robe, and here is this man not going to distinguish himself, hiking up his robe, and he's going to run after the son. And here comes the son, and all the son can do is rehearse what he's going to say. Forgive me, Father, I've sinned. Forgive me, Father, I've sinned. Forgive me, Father. But the, the father would have none of it. And he'd say, put a robe on my son because I want him to be identified with me. And listen, I want a ring on his finger that tells him he's of great worth, and we're going to party. I slaughter the fatted calf. Slaughter the fatty calf because we're going to rejoice. My son was dead and now he's alive. He's been rescued. 
And then you have this older brother who was a self-righteous, self-centered, egomaniac like me. And there he was working and thinking that his righteousness and his work would earn his father's favor. And he thought he did all the right things that deserved his father deserved throwing a party from him. And he looked on with disdain of all the events. Can you imagine the story? If the first one to greet the prodigal son was the brother, can you imagine the story? Can you imagine the story of the, the older brother getting the younger brother and says, Man, you have disgraced the family name. What are you showing your face around here? You're a loser. You, you've, you basically have cursed your father. You've spent all of his inheritance. You've lived your life with wild women and booze. You don't deserve to be. Get off our property, loser. And I just shudder to think that that's the gospel that the world is hearing. It's the gospel of the older brother. You don't deserve it. Go. Get out of here. You're a sinner. You're broken. You're bruised. You're diseased. You're scum. And if the older brother was the one who ran out there, wouldn't we have a different story? And here's the reality. You ready for this? Here's the A plan, Orangewood. God is calling us to be the father. He's calling us to look for sinners. And when we spot them, to run after them. He's calling us to make it easy for them to come home. Are we making it easy for them to come home? Or are we making them feel like they're just pond scum and they don't belong here? The A plan. The A plan is the father who runs after sinners like us. The A plan is that he makes all things new through us. The A plan is that we are on that hill looking for sinners. The A plan is is that we care. The A plan is is that we go. And the A plan is is that we do everything physically possible to bring them in and make it easy for them to experience newness of life too. And I don't know about you, but I have been preaching too much in my life the gospel of the older brother. That somehow I deserve this, and you don't. And somehow my righteousness is going to make God love me and not love those pagans. And oh, how I need to repent. You see, that old brother, he didn't care about prodigals who come home, he was judgmental. He was self-centered. He was self-righteous. He was joyless. And he was absent of the Father's fellowship. Is that us? God is making all things new. And his A plan is for us to go and love this dying world and to be like the Father and run to sinners and bring them home. Jesus had to die for us to be the A plan. And we may have to die to some things as well. Die to our selfish ambition and vain conceit. Die and surrender afresh to King Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to live for you and I want to care for the things you care for and I want my heart to be broken for the things that break your heart and I want to stop asking the question, where are you? And start saying, God, send me. You see, our God is an awesome God. He's an awesome God. And he reigns. And I have no idea how in his wisdom he would decide to use us as the A plan, but we are. And for those of us, by God's grace, that have been made new through the work of his son, we got to respond. Because we are the A plan. We are the A plan. He's calling us to go and to love that which is broken and restore that which has come undone 
and to truly love. Does that resonate with you? Are you like me and you want to say, I just don't care? Is your spirit talking to you? As we close, let me ask a couple things. We're going to, uh, we're going to sing our God is an awesome God. And I just feel like uh, we somehow should respond. And let me give you an invitation that we don't usually do very well as Presbyterians, and that is respond. How'd that make you feel? Don't show too much emotion. Thank you for responding. They're coming up to sing. If you want to respond, and let me encourage you, if you just want to somehow physically respond to this, but maybe standing up, we're all going to stand, maybe coming forward. Just come forward to say, you know what? Is my coming forward is a response to proclaiming that I don't care, but I want to. That I'm realizing afresh that I'm part of the A plan, and I want to surrender my life to him, and I want to be a part of that A plan that goes and rescues the lost. If that's you, come. Come forward, and let's just pray together up here um, as we sing an awesome God. Let's stand together. Father God, I pray that your spirit would be pleased with us as we realize that Jesus came to die to make us new, to bring back the A plan and that we're a part of it. And Father, forgive us for not caring. God, would you make cause us to respond in repentance and in belief. We pray in Christ's name, amen.